there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Today I have a special episode for you, kind of a departure. Um, I like to think of it as like that time when the Bionic Woman guest starred on The Six Million Dollar Man, even though they weren't on the same network anymore, and yet it was kind of mind-blowing. Well, I got invited to be on another podcast, and the episode turned out so well that I asked the producers and the hosts if there's any chance that we could just play it on my podcast. So they agreed, uh, which is great. The show is called Cinema Craptaculous Presents The Expanded Universe. Um, it's part of a family of shows about films. And um, this particular episode is called Romance Wherefore Out Thou. Uh, it's about romance in the movies. Perfect for Valentine's Day. Um, what happened to it? Is it still there? Where do you get it? And I was very honored to be asked to be on. Um, my friend Steve Silverman kind of connected me to the show. And it was a really fun conversation. The hosts are a pair of gentlemen named John H.H. Ford and S'more, S-M-O-O-R-E. And we get all into romance in the movies. And it's a lot of fun. I want to thank them for letting me be on the show and also letting me use it in my podcast. If you like what you hear, check out all their stuff. You can learn more at cinemacraptaculous.com. Also, I want to plug their music. It's awesome. The song is called Star Monster. It's licensed by Good Question Studio, and the music is by Duncan Nelson, engineered by Drew Canalette. You're going to hear the whole episode that we did. But before I get to that, I want to remind you that this show, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by me. I do it. So <laughs> if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can go to DennisAnyone.net slash support, and you can donate to my virtual tip jar, help me cover the expenses that come with doing the show. I always appreciate that. Or I'd love it if you considered becoming a member of DNR Studios. That's a collective of shows that I'm part of, uh, so many other great shows on that network, and for a monthly fee, you get my show early and all these other great shows, and you can learn about that at DNRStudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. And now I'm going to play you the episode that I was actually a guest on. Uh, it's Cinema Craptaculous Presents the Expanded Universe Romance Where Art Thou episode. joining us for this episode of Cinema Craptaculous Presents the Expanded Universe with your hosts John H.H. H. Ford, Mario Doc Diaz, and S'more. From movies to TV series to toys to pop culture to romance, this show is your safe space for all things geeky and where you can get your geek on. This is John H.H., H., and with me as always is my geek-tacular co-host, S'more. And Doc is unavailable. Not here. Just gone. Nope. Just checked out. I think the topic scared him off. I he's think like, he ran. He's hiding. We're doing what? No. Coward. Pass. Hard pass. I don't want to talk about Bridget Jones. Yep. Coward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our topic. So it's February, right? Love, hugs. Uh, and if you're single, then spite, wine, and um, <laughs> vitriol. Like me, bitter. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you just don't get on Facebook on Valentine's Day because you just, oh God, the couples. I don't want that torture. I, no, I won't do it. Oh yeah. I refuse. No, no I thought this would be uh, you know, a good Valentine episode. I don't think we've had one. I don't think you've ever had one on the Expanded Universe. Mm, we've had similar. We talked about romantic movies a while back, but it wasn't for Valentine's Day. I'm not sure why we did. No, no we, we did talk about romantic movies, and uh, <laughs> S'more had some uh, particularly strong opinions about one in particular. Yeah, pretty much. Harry Met Sally. <clears throat> Overrated. 
Sorry. Yeah, or, I had to clear my throat. I think you inserted what you just did probably 10 times during the show. The, only 10 times? I should have done it more. Yeah. It's funny because if anybody listens to our show who's like under 30, they literally never seen When Harry Met Sally. And that's a good thing, people. Congratulate yourselves. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> Stop it. Actually, I should up the age. Probably no one under 45 has probably seen it. <laughs> Again, congratulations for not seeing this. Don't. The reason I actually suggested this topic is because I, I was ruminating on what I felt was a particular vibe I was getting from Hollywood movies. Now, everything in the last three years has just been kind of chaos. So I'm going to take a soft cudgel to any hard opinion I have about what is or isn't happening positively in movies because it's just been hell on everybody just to make movies, to get movies into the theater, to get people into theaters. And I think I'm focusing on, on movies, not so much like what we see on streaming series and stuff. But joining us in this discussion on romance in the movies is the host of the podcast Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. Dennis is a writer, performer, entrepreneur. Uh, I'm probably leaving a lot of things out. He is a podcast host of the show Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. Uh, let's give it up for Dennis Hensley. Thank you for joining us. Dennis. Hi guys. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, my friend. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Dennis, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with your show, um, we'll talk a little bit about yourself, but tell us about your podcast. Uh, my podcast is called Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, and I, it's about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people in different walks of life, but I like I think of my guests as beautiful strugglers. They're not household names, <laughs> but they're people doing cool things. Sometimes they have day jobs, and it's about like how art and creativity make life worth living. I like to find out why people do the things they do, talk about their projects, but also like how they keep it going and how they live a creative life and deal with the ups and downs of all of it. And we have a lot of fun. What was the impetus for the show? Where did you get the, well, uh, the, I, the idea? My background is magazine journalism. I interviewed a lot of folks for a number of years for magazines like Movie Line and Cosmopolitan and TV Guide. And that was my bread and butter for a long time. And then the magazines just sort of went away, especially the ones I worked for. And I love to interview people. And I, I it's my happy place. So I and, I and I like to celebrate people that are doing cool things. And so I kind of pivoted from magazines to podcasting. S'more, now we get to put him on the spot because he says he likes to interview people. He does. Now we get to interview him. Um, was your background before you got into journalism, um, you know, were you, were you always a writer? Were you a performer that, that did both? What, like, uh, what were sort of the, the formative days of Dennis Hensley? Here's how I got into writing. I was a cruise ship dancer, highlight of my life. I loved it. And during one of the hiatuses, I auditioned for Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour. Mm. And I was a big fan at the time, I still am. I bought my tickets. I'm ready to go. I know she's weird, but I'm in. <laughs> and I went to the audition, and it was such a rich experience, both because it was a little absurd. I got cut right away, but also I had this fantasy of what it would be like. So I wrote a story about it, and I started sending it to all these different magazines. And Movie Line Magazine, a gentleman there named Edward Margulies, liked my voice, liked my writing, and started hiring me. And he published the piece, and... He started giving me opportunities, and I basically ended up leaving dancing in the ships and performing and transitioning into writing. And it all happened because Madonna rejected me. <laughs> well, it probably was a wise choice for a variety of factors, you know, whether you too much seasick, you know, you fall in love and you want a regular life, or you hurt yourself when, you know, it capsizes from a wave. Sure, it could happen. We've all seen Poseidon Adventure. No, I think I think for most people that work in that world, there's a point where you're you're like, I need to be done. Like you feel like the rest of your life is happening somewhere else without you, and that's the point that I got to. But 
It was wonderful at the time that I was doing it. In my early 20s, it was the best. Real quick, um, I understand that you also host a game show. Am I correct? I do host a couple of game shows. One is called, uh, I host virtual game nights online of a game I co-created called You Don't Know My Life. It's a box party game that grew out of my interview questions that I've been using for years. I developed it with my friend Jeb Havens. We uh, got it up on Amazon in 2019. And then we started doing virtual games for people online uh, during the pandemic, and now we do them for corporations, for team building. And they book me through youdon'tknowmylife.com, and I come on and Zoom, and I we have a game board, and the questions are about people's lives, so people get to know each other, and it's become my little side hustle, and I love it. And the other thing is I host this um, parody of the Match Game TV show called The Mismatch Game that we do as a benefit for the Gay and Lesbian Center here in L.A. We've been doing it for 18 years. We raised over $220,000 so far, and we wow. have wow. – wow. uh, I'm not sure when this is airing, but we have a couple of shows coming up on the 10th and 11th of February in L.A. at the L.A. LGBT Center. That is yeah. awesome. Let's be sure to uh, revisit that as a plug sure. at the end of the show. Absolutely. Okay? I love it. Thank you for joining us. S'more, I can tell you're so thrilled to talk about this topic. <laughs> for you know, I'm very open to all topics, even if I have little to no idea what they are. But that's well, okay. okay. So <laughs> I started, or I was thinking about romance in the movies. And, and when I mean movies, I'm talking about like all the more mainstream fare because I think there's probably niche films that kind of target love stories, maybe more. But, you know, Hollywood was was romance central. And I was thinking about, like, some of the big blockbustery films and particularly what started... I started to think about the Star Wars trilogy that came out starting in 2015. The J.J.-verse, what do they call it? The J.J. era? J.J.-verse, yeah. yeah. And I look at those three films, and when you contrast it to the first trilogies, the original and the prequels, romance was was not just kind of like a, an adjunct. It was kind of a through line in the action and the tragedy of the characters. You know, the Han and Leia story was a big deal. And obviously, the original trilogy was all about romance because it's about uh, two people that have kids. But the new trilogy felt like it was something... I don't know if it was taboo or if they just felt that it, if a younger audience doesn't care. But it just was like noticeably absent through, except for a little bit with the return of Han and Leia, but it felt like it just wasn't there. And then I looked at some of the other superhero movies. We get to, you know, the Snyder stuff. Okay, you get Lois and Superman in, in the Man of Steel, but you don't really see their love story develop. Again, contrast that to Christopher Reeve, and that was all about the romance. And then you get to some of the Marvel stuff, and outside of Spider-Man and his sort of teen angst, so I thought it would be interesting to sort of dissect, prove me wrong, point out maybe where I'm missing some blind spots, but I feel like they don't want to do these big romances in these films. Well, for I don't think you're necessarily wrong. However, I think there's a lot involved in terms of committees to admit- you know, creating these movies and directing these movies. Let's take the Star Wars trilogy you just brought up. There were hints of possible romances there, but I got a strong feeling, and this is based on the stuff I read and people I've spoken to who work in the industry, that corporations didn't want to touch it because it was too volatile. You know, you have something between Finn and Ray. You have something between Finn and Poe. But I was, was going to never- bring up Finn and Poe, right? yeah. But it was underneath. It was underneath. It was there, but I got the sneaky suspicion that the powers that be, i.e. producers and directors and executives, were still hesitant to test those waters. So they just ignored it. I don't know. Dennis, what do you you think? Well, 
I've been thinking about this a bit recently because a lot of the big movies, there is no romance, like very little. And I was thinking about The Rock recently. He's one of the sexiest specimens, muscular, beautiful, right. He's a never plays romantic. Never. Have we ever seen him kiss a woman? No, but we've seen him in relationships that go nowhere. Right. But it's not a card that he ever plays. And I think that's on purpose, but I'm not sure why. Do you think it has to do with these films are all designed to be cultural uh, juggernauts in other countries, and they want to maybe sidestep offending people one way or the other, whether yeah. it's interracial romance or same-sex romance or, or whatever, that they feel like that four-quadrant appeal will be in jeopardy? Why They're like, well, why even risk it? Yeah, I get the sense. I mean, you guys have seen Red Notice with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock and Gail I have not seen it with, uh, this was a couple years ago. Is it fun? No, it's no. fun, but it's skippable. It, it's skippable. But there are implications between The Rock and Gail Godot that just, yeah. again, it was there, but it was never quite explored, and I wonder why. Is it because... Well, you have to, you'll spoil the movie if you talk about it, though. Does anybody care? It came out in 2017, 2018. Get on it, people. No, it came out last year. Oh, last year? Okay, never mind. Well, whatever. I don't know whatever. if you've seen it. But Get on it. I, I agree with you. I, I'm looking at a lot of, again, mainstream fare, and I have not seen Avatar 2, which is, did way better than I predicted. Mm-hmm. I think the s'more we did not predict yeah. uh, that would do that well. And even looking at the other big hit of the year, the films that saved the box office, quote-unquote, Top Gun Maverick, even that romance is treated so carefully and quietly and politely. And I don't know if it's kind of like they don't want to offend people that are mad that Kelly McGillis isn't asked back. They faxed her twice, and she never got back to them. (laughs) That's what you really feel like the makers were like, you know what, let's send her a fax, and if she we don't hear from her in five minutes, we're just going to move on. That's how I felt like they paid her homage. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's... It's, how, it's been 45 minutes. Call, get Connolly on the line. You know, she had her chance. Like, that's really how I felt like the <laughs> film felt about Kelly McGillis. Well, in that case, I felt like they were concentrating on more storylines than the first one. So that, the, the again, we're talking about the romance seems to be taking a backseat, not being in the driver's seat. But I did like the romance in Top Gun, Maverick. I thought she was age appropriate. They yeah. were good together. Like, I, I thought that part of the movie worked. Um, I thought yeah. I enjoyed the whole thing. But, yeah, but that feels almost like a rarity, that they would have that much romance in a movie. True. And even in that film, I mean, if you compare it to the first Top Gun, I think the first Top Gun, the romance took precedence over the rest of the film, whereas this one, it was there, but it's more like a side story. I think there's also a reaction to the Me Too movement, all of the sex scandals, all of the inappropriate stories we're hearing about, and these things with intimacy coordinators. Like, if you were to see a movie with two movie stars playing love scenes or a story, and you came out and said they were hot together, that's an honest opinion and probably what they were going for. But even that feels a little bit like, oh, is that exploitive? Is that, can we even say that anymore? Like, we're sort of missing that kind of heat in movies. And maybe that changes for the best because there was a lot of bad behavior and stuff going on. Oh, yeah. But it feels almost like taboo to even think about it. Like, I was thinking about a movie called The Lost City with Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock from right. last year. Really fun. Um, I love those kind of movies, kind of romancing the stone. And they, it was a rom-com in a way, an adventure. And they, were, they ended up being a couple. And they, were, they had great chemistry, but kind of like brother-sister jokey yeah. chemistry. You never felt like the heat. You never felt like the heat. Yeah. I never Maybe felt when they were the dancing romance. a little bit. Yeah. Like, you never felt like, oh, they're going to bang in that hammock. Um, Agreed. Like, yeah, it's, there's a certain sort of tameness, I think, even to the movies that are, are romantic. 
So, Dennis, do, do you think Hollywood is just simply scared now to do romance? No. Or they maybe they. I think it's always about money. So maybe they just think think it doesn't. I don't think it sells. You know. I'm going to tell you a funny story, and it's a little embarrassing. So one of the people I interviewed for my podcast is a filmmaker named Matt Carter out of the UK. And he's a, a gay guy, and he plays rugby over there. And he wrote a romance set in the gay rugby league called In From The Side. And it's these hot guys playing rugby, and they, they're both in other relationships, and they have an affair. And I first saw it on YouTube, like a clip from a music video. It wasn't even the movie. And there was something about that clip. The way one of the guys looked at the other guy, they were out in an amusement park, and he looked at him with such longing and love that I froze the screen and took a picture of it, and I put it on my dream board. Because I want that in my life, that kind of Mm. love, lust, longing, I'm into this person moment. And I think why it jumped out at me is because we just don't see that. We don't see... You know, Sarah Jessica Parker looking at Big the way that we used to see people fall in love on screen. It used to be really exciting. You'd see it in their eyes. And certain actors were better than others. And I <laughs> I tracked down that filmmaker because of that moment that I wanted to talk to him because it's so rare that we see people falling in love on screen and, and like real sort of epic stories of love. Although maybe they're doing them on TV. I don't know. Like Bridgerton is all about romance, right? I think they are. And I think what we've also sort of been observing, and we talk about it a lot on the Expanded Universe, is just the fracturing of audiences into niches that are uh, being exploited successfully in the streaming world. Meaning that whatever your identity is, whatever your tastes are, you can probably find something caters to you literally by filtering it in your search as you watch more of that type of film or series that's what pops up in your feed and so the decisions that go into what may be a film that would go into the theater maybe we're being a little i'm jumping the gun because they're still they're still not sure what's supposed to go to the theater because it's Hmm. becoming a really challenging place to make money the cinemas are closing audiences are used to being on their couch or on their phones and you bring up a good point because that scene that you talked about in that movie i saw in an episode of sex education on netflix a british comedy but there was a scene with one of the main characters and he gives this girl this uh diary and says um you know i know you hate birthdays so uh, what i've done is a five-year diary and i've ripped out the day of your birthday each year so you never have to see your birthday they have unrequited love and now he's in a relationship with someone else and she turns around and the look that she gives him is probably the look right. that you saw like yeah. i wanted to like screen cap that and, and it's just like lightning in a bottle right, and tweet right. to say like always strive to make someone feel the way this person feels <laughs> in that moment and i, I it was such a uh, but again it's a tv series sure. not a movie yeah you know yeah. and you both bring up interesting points i mean i think perhaps with film people simply don't quite know how to write out a love story simply because they don't have time to tell a proper one. I think this audiences have become more sophisticated. And so we know what we want to see in the love story and in episodic television, because I see it more on Netflix and streaming. Uh, you have enough time to develop a believable romance. Whereas in movies, no matter how interesting the characters are or what the topic of the movie is about, you just simply don't have enough time to write out that sort of connection, that sort of romance, not at least in one film. It might take several films to do it. Who knows? Maybe writers simply don't know how to write 
a believable romance in a short amount of time, which is why I want to see it. Yeah, that could be true. I, I think technology plays a role, too, because, like, who wants to watch a bunch of texts flying back and forth on Tinder? You know, like, <laughs> and, you know, the movies that do, like, text bubbles and stuff, you know, it's fine. But it's, like, it's not the same as being at an, at an event and running into a person and following them into the alley and making out and, like, oh, they ghosted me after three texts. That's not <laughs> cinematic. Um, no, and I feel not. like in our own lives, we're all disconnected. We're not bumping into each other as much anymore. So there's less spontaneity and there's less um, opportunity for those spontaneous connections to pop up. Yeah, I think, I think it's also obvious that um, that notion of a rom-com, just like the raunch-com, kind of had a window that seems to have just sort of naturally closed uh, even before the pandemic and people were switching to maybe watching more streaming stuff. So it has the opportunity to maybe come back. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there are more uh, – Dennis, you brought up you know, the business aspect. And I wonder if there are concerns that – you know, not that they're sitting there running the numbers, but, you know, that, that they tell writers or, or in the screenplays that they look at, look, we don't want to affect our liberal colleagues by making just a flat-out heterosexual romance that's just going to appear dated in very early 2000s. Conversely, if we try to be uh, a little uh, broaden it, we, we're going to offend this wide swath of conservative America. And if we do something that maybe different cultures are going to we're trying to be sensitive, but we'll come off as being cloying. Like we're trying to just ape what worked that in this film that did well over overseas. And so they get all sort of self-conscious. And I think, I mean, this is where we would benefit from having a, you know, like an active screenwriter to say, oh, guys, you guys are so wrong. So you're saying they're overthinking it, John? Is that what you're saying? I think they're looking at what sells mm -hmm. to Dennis's earlier point. Also with romantic comedies, it's hard to do a sequel. Like we did, we had yeah. Star Wars. We've had 28 million sequels or whatever it is. With rom-coms, they get together at the end, and Bridget Jones, they did a few. Like, um, But there's not – it feels like, okay, maybe you put Richard Gere and Julia Roberts in another movie together or Julia Roberts and George Clooney in another movie. But it's hard to just keep you know, going back to that well the way you can with superheroes or, 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 or uh, there, Star Wars true. and things like that. Yeah, Excellent point. You can't destroy Happily Ever After to make another movie because that's exactly what you're going to have to do to do it. Yeah. Well, what they ended up doing is they, they try to up the ante with what's the obstacle? So it was meet the parents. Well, now it's, you know, meet my parents. And then it's like, well, we have kids. And now, now you know, so they, they try to throw in those sort of life obstacles as, because once the couple's together, there's nowhere to go. But then do audiences buy that in this day and age? Again, I think a lot of audiences have become a little bit more sophisticated in their storytelling. And you you look at that and you go, that wouldn't happen. Or that's just movies. That's that's cheesy. Let's move on. But I think the cheese can be part of the appeal. Like last year I went to see a movie called Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in the theater. My friend and I were like, we go to these mid-level J-Lo movies <laughs> like their church. <laughs> and that movie delivered on every count because you don't know what year it is. What year are we – is it 2022? Is it 2004? It's Owen Wilson's got that same hair, J-Lo's timeless beauty. <laughs> I don't, we could walk out and it can be the Bush years. I don't know where we are, but I'm – I'm happy to be there, you know, but they also don't make as many mid-budget movies anymore, whether they're Ooh. erotic thrillers or family dramas or whatever it is. They just don't make those movies. Like, oh. I was on Twitter the other day, and somebody posted a thread where they were like, drop in your favorite mid-budget movie from the 90s that always, like, stops you on on cable when you're scrolling. And, it, and he put in The First Wives Club. 
and then somebody mm-hmm. else put failure to launch, uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. And they weren't all like classics of the genre. They weren't Mean Girls and Clueless, these movies that have lived on. They were just sort of like serendipity with Kate Beckinsale. And, and, I remember and, that. And, the, <laughs> and, this, and this thread went on and on. And you're like, oh, I remember that movie, that one with Ashley Judd. And it was like these mid-level came and went movies at the box office. Maybe they did okay. But over time... People have taken some of them into their heart. Some people have. Like, oh, that's my, I love that thing with Kate Hudson where she wore the dress. That was horrible. Yeah, but I love it. <laughs> like, they don't make those mid-level movies anymore. Hey, we'll be right back. Hey, if you like this episode and you've subscribed to Cinema Craptaculous, the channel, then you probably know you get a totally different show every week, such as People Also Watched with Dave, Adam, and Tara. They're three industry knuckleheads that always seem to find the hilarity in every movie they review. There is, of course, the expanded universe. This is your place to geek out. John Dock and S'more are your geek experts to talk about what's going on in the uh, streaming movie and series world, superheroes, Star Wars, James Bond, pretty much any pop culture nerd stuff that you can feast your eyes on they're going to talk about it and of course there's the show that started it all cinema craptaculous with stephanie john and dave you don't even need to have seen the movies these guys talk about to have a good time and if you want to join the conversation please follow us on the socials we're at craptaculous on instagram and twitter we're also on facebook and you can also go to cinemacraptaculous.com we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear your suggestions maybe for some topics or movies you want us to cover hive mind people hive mind you know what? That term kind of creeps me out. You know, my brain just goes right to, you know, the Borg in Star Trek. Just just creepy. And now, back to the show. There was also a shock value in certain films that, that became its own genre. I mean, and, and you see them in thumbnails on your Amazon or your, whatever your menu is, and you're like, oh, my God, Basic Instinct, never get made now. No way. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Was it, what's the, the, speaking of Madonna, was it... Uh, Oh, body of evidence. Body of evidence, yeah. Which shot shot in my hometown. I remember. Wow. Uh, yeah, like these films were erotic thrillers, and and Michael Douglas, as an example, was always sort of at the cusp of some sort of social Rubicon that once we cross it, we have to discuss it. So like obviously, Fatal Attraction was kind of the first one, and yeah. it was like oh about affairs, and we have to talk about it, and was the ending justified, and then we find out there wasn't the real ending, and it becomes this social discussion, and he kind of did it again with what was the one with Demi Moore about sexual harassment. Mm. This Disclosure. The first time I'd ever seen somebody use email on screen was disclosure. Ooh, what are they doing? <laughs> Somebody's writing an email? What's that? Basic Instinct was about, you know, like, can a woman be both the hero and the villain and the seductress? And who is being victimized? Uh, is it the protagonist or is it, you know, and so those types of erotic thrillers that had some sort of social meat on the bone to discuss a little bit. I think, well, first of all, nobody discusses that they may have a show that they like that they recommend to their friends but there isn't that connective tissue of like oh did you see that movie oh yeah yeah and to dennis's point that era of the romantic comedies in the 2000s it was just home runs like non-stop and then it just stopped well you it know you both bring up an excellent point all those movies we've just named that we talked about either occurred in the late 90s towards the mid-aughts and then the zeitgeist changed. I think we've been through 9-11, of course. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through Black Lives Matters. We've been through you know, racial strife. And I think people's tastes in terms of romantic comedy, comedies have changed because, quite frankly, I think we're a little bit more jaded. You know, we look at that now and we go, that's eh, a fairy tale. We have bigger problems pressing right now. I think movie makers are betting on that we're jaded, and so they shy away from those romantic comedies doesn't mean it's going to not come back our moves might change 
society might change. But I think that's at least one way to explain it. It's like we simply are a little bit more cynical about love. Well, animated films have sort of pulled away from it too because they're not courageous enough to put LGBTQ relationships at the forefront. They'll put them in the film and then they have to decide, you know, are we going to make a deal out of it or are we going to not make a deal out of it? Mm -hmm. And who are we going to offend and not offend? And again, they get in their heads. And then you look at sort of the princess stuff, and I think they've realized that, yeah, our DNA is in a lot of these sort of princess fairy tales, Mm -hmm. but you're right. The audience now, even a young person now, is probably not going to necessarily, and probably not going to have parents that want them to maybe absorb that too much either, because the parents are smart enough, I think, to go like, you know what? Life is not Sleeping Beauty. Do we really want to keep putting that out there? So Disney, I think, as an example, I don't think we're seeing a lot of romance because I think they're kind of overthinking it, maybe for the right reasons. I don't know. What do you guys think? Again, I think part of it is people are a little bit cynical. I also think that people are a little bit scared because our notion of relationships have changed or at least expanded. You know, it's not simply the white guy and the white girl getting together. You have representation. You have mixed races getting together. I still think people in certain sects of the country, and I'm not going to call out those sects of the country. You know who you are. I think they're uncomfortable seeing that because they're not used to it. And so executives who want to make money recognize this and they want to do their best not to offend people. So rather than include it, we just don't. I think that's that's true. Um, I thought one of the best rom-coms of the last year was Bros. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's a gay romantic comedy with Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane. And it really went for it. It was edgy. It had a lot of sex appeal. It was really funny. It was really honest. And it had all of the sort of rom-com tropes. Mm -hmm. But they came at them in a really unique way. It was really funny. didn't do great. But I feel like people are going to discover it on line and streaming and stuff and i think it'll i think it'll age well as as a as a comedy but they don't make that many of them for sure right and you know we had this movie where was the marketing for it there wasn't a ton of marketing from what i recall well they they marketed it in kind of a strange way and then after it didn't do well everyone's like they shouldn't have done that and they kind of sold it as this historic there's never been a gay studio comedy before and you need to go support this and they made it feel like if you didn't support it you were a bad ally or something where uh, it's been yeah. just like i think they should have just had people coming out of the movie saying how funny it was you know because yeah. it's really funny but you know and then it sort of followed on the heels of uh judd apatow um train wreck it had that kind of mm, flavor yeah. to it but i watched bridesmaids the other night that wasn't that long ago and that that was a, a big big hit in the rom-com kind of little bit of gross out comedy in there as well true um, true they came out what 2010 2011 something like that something like that 2011 20 yeah i think okay. maybe 2011 okay. like 10 years ago i think everything started to change around 2015 and even the raunch comedies that kind of either had romance or had it cursorily you know the, the vince vaughn the hangover stuff right that ron burgundy stuff that kind of dried up around the same time yeah and going back to what s'more said about writing you said that writers don't know how to write i think writers it's not that hard to write a romantic comedy because there's a million examples you can just you can pattern and if you've got a star but i, I think they're hesitant to write it because either they think that oh well the only executive that would look at it works at Hallmark or Lifetime, and I really don't want to have to go down that route yeah. if I don't have, you know, I'm purposely leaving those out of the discussion because, A, they're, they're television. But, again, I don't want to bash them. I don't watch no, them no. during the holidays. No, we're not bashing. A lot of people get their SAG insurance from those movies. Exactly. So. <laughs> um, but, the, but, again, I'm talking about, like, we've talked a lot about on our show about just how young people are not being trained to go to the movies and that the not just the – 
the genre of film, but the ritual, the social ritual of going to the movies is starting to disappear because young people, you know, they're not being trained to do that. There's just, as a parent, you can't say, hey, okay, here's some money and go, go find a, some friends and go see the latest movie. They look at you like, what? No, we're going to, you know, we're going to get on WhatsApp or, you know, we're going to play video games or it's a whole cultural shift, right? Right. Yeah. And if you look at the people that are starring in romantic comedies, Sandra Bullock had one last year. Julia Roberts had one last year. Jennifer Lopez. It's the same people from 20 years ago. Right. Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker. We're still watching her. They're like, who's the next one? Who's the young Zendaya? I don't know. She's on Euphoria doing crazy <laughs> shit. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a different thing. So I don't know. It's, maybe, it's, maybe younger people don't want it, don't need it into it you know not to get into a huge rabbit hole even more than we have but i think that we are at risk of as much as damage that was probably done in the 80s learning your social cues from john hughes movies and and uh (laughs) national lampoons movies i think that there is a value to content creators who are helping young people um sort of see positive examples of interactions whatever the couples are for instance the school my son goes to they don't have dances and i was like what what? Like, and, and, uh, no dancing? My heart. Break out Footloose quick. I know. Okay, we don't need to have the prom because that puts a lot of pressure. But a lot of schools will make it like you don't have to have a date, just everybody shows up. If you want a date, you yeah. can. And if you don't, but a lot of people would go in, in groups. They'd go with groups of three or four as friends. And you've got kids who are maybe just coming out, other kids who are having are just shy. But I still feel like movies and TV have value to show positive interactions. And if they're not seeing that, where are they going to see it? Well, that begs the question for you both. Do you feel like young people aren't tuning in to watch these movies simply because they don't see themselves in them? There's no connection for them. They don't recognize what these movies are because it doesn't apply to their world. So they're not interested. There could be some of that. I've heard some studies saying that younger people are having less sex than older previous generations. Yeah. Like there's less of it. They drive later. They're like, they're not as eager to get their driver's licenses. There's a lot of, I think things are different than when I was younger in terms of what you were into or how you wanted to go out into the world. Like I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. Like, Oh yeah. I don't know. Maybe, or maybe they're hooking up in different ways. I do watch the sex lives of college girls, um, TV show. And, and that's very like young and kind of of the moment. And, and it's still fun and kind of sexy and definitely the current generation, you know, which is interesting. But I wonder how accurate shows like that are. I mean, I'm not sure who writes these shows. Are they young people writing these shows? Are they Gen Xers writing these shows? No, is it fantasy? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. But uh, I know that one of them is created by uh, Mindy Kaling. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's just not a lot of heat in the movies. You know, like, yeah. remember Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt and Angela oh, yeah. Jolie? That was hot. Like, that I, was hot. I, feel like, I feel like it's almost a sin to say we want to make a hot movie. Like, that would be like... <laughs> You're going to be canceled. I, you would get canceled You're just canceled. for the idea, <laughs> for the idea of it. And I think as a culture, we're so immature about sex, like still. Still. And that's one of the movies I really loved last year was Good Luck to You, Leo Grande with um, Emma Thompson, the British movie where she's an older woman that's never really explored her sexuality and she hires an escort. And the whole thing takes place over their different encounters in the um, in the hotel room. And it was just honest. And I, it was so refreshing because it's a part of all of our lives, sexuality and romance. Absolutely. Or whether, we, whether we're experiencing it, whether we're not, we, we, whether we want to. 
is something everyone can relate to on some level, and yet we don't always deal with it in a very mature way, especially when you compare it to something like violence, which we clearly have no problem with. Of course. Exactly. To this day, still. Yeah. I want to see more of those movies. I do, too. And I think that, obviously, a mature mind can look at your average romance, romantic comedy from, you know, previous eras and say, yes, that likely wouldn't play out that way. You know, that I doubt that that, that character would end up with that character. In reality, you know, Patrick Dempsey would probably not be left at the altar. Mr. McSteamy, yes. Yes. Or, or no, is he a McDreamy? Is he a McDreamy or McSteamy? He's McDreamy. McDreamy, okay. He's right. McDreamy. I think that there's unrealistic endings are something that maybe writers are mindful of. And I think a lot, Tish, you're earlier points i think you both said the audiences are very sophisticated young people are sophisticated and these tv shows uh that you mentioned that we've discussed because of the format they have more time to explore the nuances of relationships that maybe a two-hour you know 90 minute film really doesn't well you know i don't know about you guys but i'm all for like the unrealistic fun endings because part of the reason why i tune in the movies and romantic comedies is because it's a fantasy and it's Fun to imagine and dream. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you put, and you put yourself in that person's shoes, even if yeah. they, you can't relate to them. Exactly. I would like to see them come back. I'd like to see more people see themselves in it mm-hmm. and maybe not just be the sidekick or the comic relief. And that, that requires the studios, somebody sort of saying, okay, we're going to have to take a bit of a risk on this and then start making some stars because... I mean, God, I, I look at, like, the films that, like, when I was a little kid that, like, my older siblings went to, they weren't funny romance. Well, they were all... If the funny ones starred Barbara Streisand and <laughs> <laughs> Ryan O'Neill. Oh, I love that movie. But, but the romantic comedy, <laughs> I think, really was... I think it was really born in the, in the 80s, but flourished, uh, to your points, in the 90s and particularly in the 2000s. Dennis, you seem to be pretty versed on a lot of the recent stuff, but what are films that you feel like that kind of address everything we've discussed that you can really recommend? Well, I don't know. I was just thinking about Love Actually recently because it was the holidays. And it's not one of my favorites, but people love that movie. And it's it's because it has a lot of those longing looks in it. Like you feel all of the love coming from the people. And uh, I went to that movie when it came out with somebody that I had dated for a while, but they didn't, I was in love with them and they broke it off and just wanted to be friends. Oh. So let's go see Love Actually as friends. <laughs> not, not a good idea. Ouch. Not, not a great idea. Ouch. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So he got he got to the Andrew Lincoln theme yeah. scene and his friend is kind of looking at his watch and 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 Dennis is just like bawling. I mean, <laughs> I am Emma Thompson when she gets the Joni Mitchell CD oh. and not the necklace or whatever it is. Um that's one that comes to mind. You know what? Last night I watched a JLo romantic adventure called um Shotgun Wedding on Amazon. Oh, oh that was one. Yeah. Yes. You know what? I had fun. You know, she was better in Marry Me. I think she's there's, the character's a little daffy, and mm-hmm. JLo's whole brand is I've got my act together. Yeah. So when she's being daffy, you're like, it's not on brand. It's weird. You know, it's a little, you know, when she's kind of being a little like, I'm going to faint or whatever. Mm, JLo, you don't faint. JLo's like on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Jennifer Coolidge steals it. She's yeah. funny in every moment that she says. And. I watched it as a because I also do writing um, as well, and I watched it as and I thought this is a kind of movie that a writer like me could write and maybe get a little traction on. Whereas I'm not going to write Avengers, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. This is a kind of movie that I and I also like to go see it. And Josh Dumel Duhamel is aging beautifully. He was like mm-hmm. Silver a Fox. real like romantic lead, handsome. 
like more than than I think I used to think. You so, know. Silver Fox, right? Silver Fox. There you go. And they had you know some good romance in the movie, and and they were beautiful to look at, and there was some it had kind of some romancing the stone kind of adventure stuff, a big zip line moment. I think it's the kind of you know it delivers on what you want it to be, what okay. you think you know. So it had those looks you were talking about, those longing, the longing. A little looks. bit of that. Okay. A little bit of that. A little bit of that, okay. and then just wacky adventure but you do feel like people are afraid to get very sexy you know like even the bond movies now he used to always like have to have sex with some rando right or it's not a bond and now he's kind of like leaving notes like it's just (laughs) you know what i mean like it's a little that used to be a that used to make somebody cooler and now it's diminishing right so uh, yeah. and I kind of and I kind of miss yeah. something that a little it's a little dangerous, a little sexy, a little spontaneous. Well, to your point, I think people are afraid to get a little dangerous, a little sexy because you know we we just laughed at it. It's like a bond leaves a note now, but a yeah. lot of people look at. <laughs> I don't even bond. know if he does, but he feels like he does. You know, <laughs> right? I wish I could be. I wish I could teach a class like in high school, uh, not necessarily in English or film or theater, but like a class where young people could watch older the romantic comedies or romance films we we talk about, and somehow pull away the the icky, dated, very pre Me Too racist stuff that that is inherent in a lot of older stuff. In surprising ways, when you're watching, you're like, oh my gosh. Anyone, yeah. anything beyond 1990, we can't do that, correct? <laughs> but it's it's too bad because there are so many we could we. Could could spend a whole show talking about like right. the, the best romantic comedies and it's too bad that we have to neuter them in a way like well nah, we can't show tootsie because it'll offend people because he dressed up as a woman but the, the romance in that is actually really funny and beautiful i mean yeah it's 40 years old but it's it's good but hopefully the writers now and and dennis I actually just want to thank you for pointing out some of the recent stuff because just in our discussion i feel a lot more optimistic i feel like there is a lot of stuff that i'm missing and i think part of it is i focus on series and maybe I avoid some of the films. Yeah, maybe they're not going to the cinemas. Maybe that'll just take some time. I'm hopeful, but it's nice to know that even in the streaming world that there seem to be some options. Yeah. I would love to see us make some romantic comedy movie stars, younger ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm just forgetting somebody that's right in my face, but I don't feel like we have the new Julia Roberts, Sandra Bullock, J-Lo, I don't think Zellweger. We do. Not really. Not on that level. I think a lot of our movies are they're blockbusters now. They're superhero movies. Right. Or Zoe Saldana movies. is blue in every movie or green. Right. Like, <laughs> she is not, you know, the ad exec with the big presentation, but she meets the milkman and spills milk on her presentation. <laughs> She's in a green screen suit for the next 20 years. You know, right. ScarJo's like, I guess I'm going to be crouching. Uh, and fighting for the next 20 <laughs> years. Superhero landings for the next 20 years. Right. For the next 20 years. I, I think, you know, which is great. It's good to have a rich diet as an actor. But I think when they're, like, coming up, they're like, I'm going to be doing that for that much? And they're like, yep, and here's how much you're going to make. Okay, I'm in. Fine. All right. I mean, can't I'm going to buy an island. It'll be fine. Yeah. Can't they're fun. <laughs> no. And you know what? Here's the interesting thing. I find that the romantic moments in the superhero movies are my favorite moments. Really? Little, the banter, yes. The banter with Iron Man and Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. I agree. A little bantery. I, I like a little banter, like that sort of old school, you know, forties kind of banter moments, like the yeah. and the the upside down kiss in Spider Man Two. Right. When they're romantic, those are my moments that I like the superhero movies the most. Well, Peter Quill and Gamora, you know, Zoe Zaldana and green makeup. Those yeah. moments where they're just being romantic, going back and 
four. Those were great. They were really yeah. Great. And uh, and of course they took her out of the equation because she's she doesn't exist anymore now. There's the other time frame the version. That, yeah. So we'll see if James Gunn can bring it home in the third final outing romantically. Probably not. <laughs> I agree with you. And, and honestly, to bring it full circle to Star Wars, when I think of what I love most about the Star Wars trilogy, and it could just be a personal thing for. And I was a kid. I wasn't a teenager. I wasn't a, an adult. But the Han and Leia romance in Empire Strikes Back. Like, if I had to pick, like, my favorite moment, mm-hmm. it's when he's about to get frozen and she says, I love you. And, you know, know, we all know the story that there was yes. a line written that Lawrence Kasdan had, a, had some dialogue and Harrison Ford said, I think we can do better. I think Han Solo can do better. George wasn't thrilled with his choice. And then they saw the, the cut and he's like, oh, yeah, that was the right thing. But that moment I just love has nothing to do with sword fights. But, and, guys, you know, could, could we get away with that today? If someone straight up said, I love you. Yeah, I know. People will be up in arms. What? That's unrealistic. Yeah, that's Douchebag ass. <laughs> but it's so him. It's so his character. I think if the character's well drawn, you'll go with it. If it may make sense for the characters, and you know deep down he's cuddly. <laughs> cuddly his own grumpy. He's, he, he's not gonna away. be he's not gonna be as a cuddly in a few seconds when he's in carbonite, but he's cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dennis, I think we have to do a second show with you because yes, absolutely. This was fun, guys. I'm happy. This has happy opened up so many can of worms yeah. um, of topics and you And we are didn't even talk about Katherine Heigel. Oh Catherine Heigel. <laughs> yeah. She's still working? <laughs> So screenwriters have forgiven her, right? She's she's now Wait, on, she working? back on. The, she back? No. I think she's doing stuff. I think she's maybe on some platform doing things. I yeah. Put her with a younger uh, male actor. That seems to be the rage. Oh, there you, you go. Know? Yeah. Makes money. All right. Well, Dennis, thank you for joining us on my pleasure, guys. Thank you on Dennis. this romance, and thank you to our listeners for. Uh, well, first of all, I'm just all over the map because I'm so excited to have a fellow film buff, Dennis. Before we go, what are you working on now? I have my podcast, Dennis Anyone, which you can find anywhere you get your podcasts. My website is dennisanyone.net. I also write podcast episodes for a company called Wondery. That's my main gig, and I write for a show called Even the Rich. Um, so I recently wrote about Whitney Houston for a four episode series and i'm working on the pride episodes now with a gay icon that i'm not i don't know if i'm allowed to say who it is but it's going to be out in june and that's that's sort of my main uh writing gig and, and you we, mentioned the uh the benefit for your game show yes uh, let's, let's talk about uh, we're the doing the that. mismatch game at the gay and lesbian center it's a parody of the old match game tv show i host it and we're doing that on february 10th and 11th a pre-valentine's crazy little thing called love edition we had it on Super Bowl Sunday, and nobody realized it because we're gay. And I was like, somebody's like, you know that's the Super Bowl. And I was like, uh-oh, I better send some emails and see if we can move it. Because Rihanna's at the Super Bowl. So we're not going up against Riri. No, we, we, we're not crazy. So, yeah. So that's, that's happening funny. here in L.A. That's great. Where can we find this? Where can we find you? That you can find through the L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center. L.A. LGBT Center dot org. Okay. Um, we'll have information about that. And, um, yeah, and I'm uh, Dennis C. Hensley on Instagram and Hensley Dennis on Twitter. Very cool. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Absolute pleasure. I would look at you guys with longing looks like in that movie I saw. (laughs) But I forgot how. I forgot I'm out of practice. (sighs) I really need to work it up. That's what happens (laughs) when we don't have the movies to show us the way. Bring those movies back, people. Bring them back. I think you have just framed the best sort of Valentine wish that we on our show and, and me personally could just give to anybody is to find that longing, provide that longing for someone else, 
and for people who maybe don't have that longing to prop them up. Because I think that I love what you said about that longing. Right. It, maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. But you got to be in it to win it. And you, and you want to have more of those moments in your life. And deep down, yeah. that's what we, what we all want. We want that. Yeah. I want that. Yes. Yes. John, do your best logging face. Your best logging face. Quick. Go. You're on the podcast. I can't do it. Guys, it's spectacular. Can't see it, but spectacular. All right. I know. I'm a little... My lighting's not the best, but I'm giving you serious bedroom eyes. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. You can see it? We're going to have to take some selfies and for our key art to promote the show of of our longing look. With our longing look. It's going to make it look like it's the saddest show. No one's going to want to listen. Not if you do it right. That's the challenge. Thank you. You're right. Right. Well, thank you, Dennis, and thank you to our audience, for those of you who are openly geeky and closeted geeky, for joining us on this expanded universe romantic aw, journey. Aww. This has been John H.H., and with me, as always, is my geektacular co-host. This is S'more, and remember that this is your safe space to talk about all things geeky and where you can get your geek on. Oh, and Dennis, we all say geek out together, okay, oh, okay. including our guests, okay? Well, I say it One. longingly, longingly. Okay. Yeah, with longing looks. I'll count it. One, two, three. Geek, geek out. out. Okay, you were very kind of Barry White, Dennis, which is... is, is I was just a, trying to say it faster. I didn't realize you drew it out a little bit. He was kind of romantic. I was kind of pathetic. I was silly. I came in too hot, I think. No, 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 no. It was fine. It was, right. We were trying to do longing, so it worked. Right. We didn't even talk about Jennifer Aniston. We didn't talk about love exciting and new. <laughs> All right, that was fun, right? Thanks so much to John H.H. Ford and some more for uh, having me on the show and to everyone at Cinema Craptaculous for letting me run it on my show. Um, You can learn more about them at cinemacraptaculous.com and find the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. All right, so this happened. We had the mismatch game this past weekend. You know, I've been building up for it. Two shows on Friday and Saturday, Valentine's themed, and... They were a bit unhinged, but in a really good way. And I, w- I was super stressed out going into it. I was very happy that things worked out. I was just busy. I had a lot going on. I hadn't been feeling great. And we pulled it off. It happened. Friday night, here's something fun. Leslie Ann Warren, Oscar-nominated actress from Victor Victoria, also Clue, A Night in Heaven, one of my personal favorites. She came to the show. Couldn't have been more fun. Uh, posed for pictures with everybody. Super great. And then Saturday night... Tom Lank, who usually plays characters like Zoe Deschanel or uh, Tilda Swinton, he's done Margot Kidder, like he's he does a lot of different characters. He decided to try Megan, the robot from Megan, and it was brilliant. It was a tour de force and so funny. But here's something really fun: um, the afternoon of the show, so Saturday afternoon, the 11th, Tom Lank was at Whole Foods in Los Angeles. And he ran into Allison Williams, star of Megan. I think she's also a producer of Megan. And he went up to her and he said, Hey, I'm doing this show tonight as a benefit at the Gay and Lesbian Center. I'm going to be playing Megan. And is there any way I can get a photo with you and I can post it online and promote the show and support the cause? And she was like, Great. Yeah, she was super cool. But how random is that? Um, I think he manifested that. And... Um, it was, a, it was a triumph, the Megan of it all and everybody, all of the different panelists and all of the guests. And people were bidding on those cards like crazy. So we, we raised some good money and we just had a blast. So the mismatch game, 
another one in the can, and uh, I'm, I couldn't be more happy with how it went. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Before I let you go, I want to thank AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes, JB Bercy for uploading them. Also, my music is composed by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.